Well, thank you again uh, for your welcome this weekend. It's been really good to be with you. Uh, I want to start with a public apology to Andy. I know you're really into quizzes, and yesterday you got landed with Valinoy on the, uh, on the treasure trail, and uh, he spent about, could it be three quarters of an hour, even an hour, looking for this one clue. Where was the head missing off the brass thing? And uh, the reality was that actually Val and I had kind of long since given up and sat down uh, with our backs against the brass thing, which was uh, <laughs> just... <laughs> so, sorry, brother. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, we're uh, looking at postcards. Uh, and actually, we're just going to condense it a bit today to look at uh, 3 John, one, one final postcard. But for those who haven't been here, it might be quite helpful uh, to just refresh what we looked at already uh, yesterday. We looked at, first thing, uh, Psalm 117. Uh, and I'm going to ask the folk that were here then, so the quiz continues. So what's the kind of key points from Psalm 117 that we looked at? What was the big things about God that he wanted us to be refreshed in and impressed by? His love is eternal, his love and his faithfulness. And that love is, is personal, it's constant, isn't it? It's prevailing uh, and it's eternal. And uh, it's, it's so that we might know who we are in Christ, that our identity is strengthened in him, that we might live to his glory. And uh, right back in that psalm, we saw how it's a very small psalm, right at the centre of the Bible, but it's talking about uh, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, but also... Uh, the, the fact that this, this gospel is for all the nations. Uh, and praise is, is not simply what we do when we come together on a Sunday or whenever. It's actually living our lives to the glory of God that all the nations might hear of Christ. And then we uh, looked at Philemon. And what was the kind of key thing in Philemon? The story of this runaway slave, Onesimus, um, who is restored by the Apostle Paul to his master, to Philemon, uh, and what's at the core of that? What was that all about? Pardon? Well, I care, I care for him, but what was that? What was it about? What was going on there? Reconciliation, wasn't it? And reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel. Uh, and we had a little picture there of what that looks like and the cost of it. And as you rightly say, that uh, we're not to cocoon ourselves and run away from uh, confronting uh, one another, nor are we to sort of uh, just gossip about the other person, uh, but rather we are to care front one another. But the model of that, of course, is, and it's a costly thing to do, and the model of it is what the Lord Jesus has done uh, and what God has done in Christ to us, where he has care-fronted us, if we're a Christian, and brought us to himself. Uh, but today, a bit of a change this morning, I'm going to go, not, rather than do 2 John and 3 John, we're just going to focus down on 3 John, on this postcard. Uh, so I hope you've got it before you, uh, because before and after lunch, that's the, uh, the big um, stimulus today, you get a lunch in between these two, we're going to look at 3 John together. Now I want you to think about two questions, it really has got to be a quiz weekend, doesn't it? So, but I want you to think seriously about these two questions. Firstly, what's the best thing that's happened to you this year? Don't want you to answer it out loud. This is just a personal, private question. What's the best thing that's happened to you this year? Okay, just give you a short time to think of that. Here's the second one. 
What's the best thing you've done this year? What's the best thing you've done this year? Okay, you got those two questions? Uh, just log them, please. What's the best thing that's happened to you? What's the best thing you've done? We're going to return to them uh, in a little while. Actually, how we answer those two questions reveals a great deal about our priorities and our view of life and what is important in life. And this letter, remarkably, is talking about that very subject, about what's best from God's point of view. And if the first uh, two letters of John, 1 John and 2 John, talk about holding fast to some basic truths of the Christian life, then this little letter, this little postcard, is about some basic priorities of the Christian life, which is why I wanted to spend all of our time this Sunday on that issue. The author, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John rather, calls himself the elder there in verse 1, because a whole group of churches looked to his oversight, to his leadership. He's actually the last living apostle now. You remember, this is the man who gives us the book of Revelation, uh, and Revelation is given to him while he's in exile on the island of Patmos. He's the last living apostle. But, so this postcard is very, very personal. It's written towards the end of his life, and it's about three individuals, if you'll notice. We come across three people, three men. The first of them, a man called Gaius. The second, in verse 9, Diotrephes. And the third, in verse 12, Demetrius. Actually, four individuals, if we include the Apostle John himself. But those three, we're going to put four fingers up and say three. Those three we're going to think about after lunch particularly. And if this letter holds up those three people as examples for us to learn from, not necessarily good examples in every case, but if it holds them up as examples for us to learn from, perhaps one to avoid, it does so in the context of answering those two questions. What's the best thing that happens to a person? What's the best thing that you do. So if we look at verses 1 to 4 of this little postcard, the two things that priorities that matter most to the Apostle uh, John and that he reinforces here is this. Firstly, verses 1 to 4, walking in the truth. Did you notice this little phrase that it uses, that picture of a walk? Christian life uh, elsewhere is described as a, a race, isn't it? In Hebrews, it's described as a marathon. Here, it's described as, as a walk. And the first priority of the Christian life is there in verses 3 and 4, where John talks about keep on walking in the truth, which is his way of saying, keep on living every day with Jesus as our Lord. He says, I've got no greater joy. I've got no greater joy in all the world than to know that my children are walking in the truth. John rejoices in the fact that this man, Gaius, uh, is going on as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Christ is the supreme priority of his life day by day. John isn't super spiritual, is he? He's not removed from the realities of everyday life. He, he prays that Gaius will enjoy good health. There in verse 2, he says, I hope that all's going well with you. But notice the end of the verse where he says, I pray especially that your soul is getting along well. Now John obviously thought of Gaius as his spiritual child in the faith. Perhaps Gaius had become a Christian through John's ministry. We don't know. 
But the greatest joy for John is that this man is continuing as a Christian. And his greatest concern for this man is that how he was doing spiritually. Now, how do our priorities compare to that of the apostle? When I asked you at the start, what's the best thing that's happened to you in this past year, how did you answer it? Your health may have improved in some way, and you think, that's the best thing that's happened to me. And that is indeed a real blessing. You may have got through some exams, you may have got a new job, or you may have got a promotion. That's great. You may have got married or engaged. You may have had your first child or your first grandchild. That's wonderful. You may have moved house. You might finally have got that nicer car. You may have had a great holiday. I wonder if some of those were just among the things that when we are asked that question kind of come instinctively to mind. But what's the best thing that's happened to you this year? What would God, if you're a Christian, say is the best thing that's happened to you this year? Well, here's his answer, isn't it? Here is how the Bible answers that very question. John says, I've got no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's it. If you've walked through this year with Jesus as your Lord, that's the best thing that's happened to you. It really is, in the light of eternity. Because you see, as we were reminded in the children's talk, the treasure, the lasting treasure, the eternal treasure, is in Christ, and it's the gospel, and it's knowing God, and it's being a child of God. It's being in the embrace of the love of God and the faithfulness of God. And all these wonderful gifts that God gives us as we journey through life, the material benefits of life, the friendship, the family, the jobs that we do, they're wonderful gifts from God but they're only gifts at the end of the day. They will not last. They will not last. Here's the gift that lasts, and it's God himself. And the fact that a person is walking, continuing day by day, week by week, month by month, in the truth of God, in the path of Jesus, in the gospel, is, in the light of eternity, the most important thing. Do you see that? Nothing more important. Because what's going to matter in a hundred years' time? It's not the job, it's not the family, it's not the home, it's not the holiday. Wonderful and precious those many of those things are, it's that I'm a follower of Christ. And I'm going to a new heaven, a new earth, where I will enjoy a new realm of existence, a bodily existence, similar but very different to the existence we experience today. But it's going to last forever with all the things that mess up life removed once and for all. And the fact that I can hold on to that hope, and the reality of that hope for me is that right now, in the very mundane things of life, I'm just putting one foot in front of another, <coughs> walking, following after the Lord. John thinks about this man Gaius, and he says, nothing gives me greater joy than this, that you are walking in the truth. What was your answer? It wasn't intended to be a catch question. 
And I've got to say to you, I'm not speaking from a superior position. Because if I answered that question, it wouldn't instinctively necessarily be that I'm walking in the truth. Because other things capture my heart, as I suspect they might capture your heart and priorities. But God brings us his word to bring us to, his sen- to our senses, doesn't he? To say this is the most precious thing. This is the pearl of greatest price. This is a treasure beyond measure, that you belong to Christ. And if we can say that, it's a wonderful place to be, no matter what's going on in our lives. It's amazing, isn't it, that we can forget, as Christians, all the benefits. I love that psalm, don't you? Is it Psalm 103? Forget not all his benefits. But don't let the benefits, the material benefits of life, cause us to lose sight of the greatest benefit, that I am his and he is mine, and that I'm walking in the truth. It may be that we need to reorientate our lives a bit to remind ourselves that each day that I belong to Christ, that I'm a follower of Christ, that my identity isn't found in what I have or what I don't have. It's found in the fact that I'm loved with an everlasting love by the faithfulness and love of an everlasting God. And if that's our heart this morning, it's a wonderful place to be. But you know, these verses also apply to us as we care for one another. We are very individualistic as Christians, aren't we? especially in the Western world. But as we reminded ourselves yesterday, the culture of the Bible is very corporate. It's very plural, if you like. It's communal. And we have a responsibility to one another, don't we? So imagine yourself as the Apostle John, thinking of that Christian, that Gaius, that other Christian. We're to have that mindset that is concerned for the well-being Does it cheer your heart that that fellow Christian is walking in the truth? It's a walking miracle, isn't it? It really is. We lose sight of the fact the greatest miracle in the New Testament is not uh, healing. It's not some miraculous healing. It's that a person is born again. It requires the very resurrecting power of Christ to bring that about and to keep that person walking after Christ day after day throughout life is a miracle of grace. How do you feel about other Christians? We have a responsibility to one another. This is to be the distinguishing mark of friendship, isn't it? My dear friend, he says, Gaius. Well, if we're truly friends to one another, it's this, that I want my friend, my Christian friend, to prosper. I want them to keep walking. I want when the danger of them being distracted comes along, that God should give me the grace to care front them, to say, brother, sister, aren't you in danger here of missing something? Don't be distracted. You see, there's a concern here for one Christian for another. That's got to be the same, isn't it, in our lives. The same mark should distinguish Christian marriages. The best thing anybody can do for their marriage is to keep following Christ closely to walk in the truth. 
Husbands, that's the best thing that you can do for your wives. And guys, ours is that responsibility. Under the, the headship that God has given us, it's to care for, to prosper our wives. The best thing that we can do for an, our partner, for our husband, for our wife, is to give them the encouragement, give them the encouragement and the time and the space to grow as a Christian. The same thing applies to Christian parents, isn't it? What do you want for your children? It's so easy to be taken up by the idols of this world. What are the idols of our country today? It's education. It's prosperity. It's a good job. It's a nice house. It's all these things. And we can get sucked into that. No, the priority for our children is that they might love Christ, that they might grow to be a man or woman, a young man, a young woman, who's passionate about the Saviour, whose life is given over to him, who might end up sweeping the roads in order that they can give time to doing gospel ministry. It might end up that they'll use their education to bless people in another part of the world. But Christian parents, you know, can often fall foul of this. I have a friend of mine in London who's, who's received on more than one occasion letters from irate Christian parents because their son, their daughter, has squandered their education to go and help the poor in another country or to go and take the gospel into an urban estate in Scotland. It's not what I've, it's not what I've sent them to university for. It's not what I invested all that money for, isn't it? First and foremost, Christian parents, is that our children should love and follow Christ. I have no greater joy than knowing that my children are walking in the truth, says the Apostle John. So actually what's happening with those little children next door in these, in these minutes is actually far more important than what's going to happen to them at school for the rest of the week. They won't hear the gospel at school. This is where they'll hear the gospel. In your home, parent, is where they'll see and hear of Christ. Summer camps will be remembered, long remembered, after trips to centre parks. Don't misunderstand me. I'd love to go to centre parks or to Alton Towers or whatever it may be. Those are things, lovely things to enjoy. But the big things is the biggest thing. It's the gospel, isn't it? What's the most important thing? What's the best thing that's happened to you this year? Well, John would say that I'm walking in the truth. But what about the best thing you've done this year? Well, I'm sure you can see where this is going now, can't you? Look at verses 5 to 8 with me, please. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers, even though they're strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. What's the best thing you've done this year? How would Apostle John answer that? There it is in that last phrase, that you work together for the truth. That is the best thing you could be doing. Brothers, in verse 5, are fellow Christians who'd once been strangers to Gaius. 
They'd come from John's church, stayed with him, and then gone back and told how Gaius had cared for them and supported them. I guess they're what we call nowadays missionaries. They're hoping to return to Gaius's area, and they're hoping that Gaius will again help them and support them and prosper them in their task of taking the gospel so that more people might hear of him. So here's our great example of the second priority for the Christian that we're called to imitate, as John puts it, working for the truth. Working to hear together so that other people might hear of Christ. It's a responsibility of every Christian. It's a responsibility that every one of us is called to be part of. We, i.e. all Christians, ought to work together for the truth. Now, having said that, we're all different. God has gifted us in many different ways, different abilities, different circumstances, and we all contribute in different ways to that. That's, that's the glory of the church, isn't it? Then what God does in the church. Would you normally, on a Sunday morning, just look around, would you? You can look around. Just, would you normally be sat in this room with these people? I mean, let's be honest, probably not, would you? I mean, you could find better things to do with your time. Would you normally be sat together? No. What does God do? This is the genius of God in the gospel, isn't it? He takes men and women, boys and girls, from all kinds of different backgrounds, nationalities, abilities, different, uh, different educational backgrounds, different uh, uh, monetary backgrounds, and he puts them together in his family. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's incredible. You see, just as in, in your human family, you didn't choose your brother or sister, did you? None of us had a say, if we have a brother and sister, in who they are. They were just, they were there. They were given us. Had no choice in the matter. It's exactly the same in the Christian family. Exactly the same, isn't it? I mean, why has God put me together with different? I mean, it's just, it, it's just that you might think that, mightn't you? It's, but you see, that's the genius of God. He's going to use Dovin to, to, um, to test your patience, to your endurance, and the fact that he's a Man United supporter. All these things <laughs> will conspire together. But this is the genius of God. And he says, I'll take that one, I'll take that one, I'll take that one, I'll take that one. Who would otherwise have nothing in common but now have everything in common because of Christ. Because we're all on level ground before the cross. And God has shown us his grace. He's rescued us, some of us very early in life, some of us much later on in life. He's done it in his time and for his purpose, and he brings us together so that we can work together for the truth. It's an astonishing, actually, strategy, isn't it? You know, think of Jesus... He says to these 12 disciples, go and make disciples of all men. At the time, there were <coughs> 70, 120 of them when Jesus leaves the earth. And they're given this mandate of going to take the disciples. Of all. Now, if you gave that to a, to a business manager today, how would they go about it? Would well, have all sorts of schemes and plans and, and ideas. How, what's God's way of going about it? It's actually one by one, as those people take the gospel out into their community, take it further afield, and he brings people into his kingdom, one by one. But he does it 
and he gathers them in local clusters, local churches, so that their primary task is to reach that particular community with the gospel. But he gifts the church and he equips the church to work together for the truth. Which is why we need to really have hold of Philemon, isn't it? Because the only way we're going to work together for the truth is that we understand we're reconciled to God through Christ, by grace, and therefore we can be reconciled to one another and deal with our difficulties and deal with our differences in a godly way for the honour and glory of God. And the thing that most glorifies God is that the gospel gets taken out. Because the first thing that goes when a church turns in on itself is the gospel, isn't it? The witness into the community. The community around says, you're talking about reconciliation to me. You can't even be reconciled to each other. Don't talk to me about a gospel of reconciliation. It ain't real for you. But here's the gospel. And it does a remarkable thing. It takes all these diverse people, all these different people, it puts them together in a family, in a community, and it rejoices in their differences. That's the lovely thing, isn't it? Once, I was in the Philippines with a friend, Andy Wyatt, one of the elders at Chesington. And uh, we were, it, was, it was the middle of the day. It was about 100 degrees. Only mad dogs and Englishmen are out walking in the middle of the day, and that's what we were doing. And it was in a fairly remote village in the Philippines. And we saw these two guys coming down the road. They were dressed in black suits with black shoes, white ties, Sorry, white shirts, black, black ties, and I had a close cropped hair. And we knew from 100 yards away who they were. You would as well, wouldn't you? Who were they? Mormons. What does religion do? It produces Mormons. I'm not being nasty there, but it, it clones, isn't it? Everybody's got to look the same and dress the same and act the same and speak the same. Does God do that in the gospel? No. He rejoices in the fact that he's given us all our own fingerprint, all our own identity, all our own personality, all our own character. And then he puts us all together in that wonderful spectrum and galaxy of people to reach out with the gospel, to work together for the truth. What's the best thing you've done this year? It's going on in the gospel. It's going on in the gospel. We're all different. We all contribute differently. We're all at different stages of life. But we all are involved in the same great and glorious and eternal task. You see, God's agenda, there at the end of verse 8, is that we should work together for the truth. Gaius is part of that. He's a sender. He's a supporter. It's what we're called to do. How does it work out? Well, just very briefly, as we draw to a close here, let's have a look. Firstly... Friendship, verse 5. Gaius committed himself to support these missionaries who initially were strangers to him but became people, verse 4, that, verse 6, that he loved. Begins with friendship. We need to imitate Gaius' commitment. Then there's finance, verse 6. Bible's hugely practical, isn't it? We're to imitate John's concern that the missionaries should be properly looked after. You do well, he says, to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For it was for the sake of the name, that is Jesus, that they were sent out. John again is sending, setting the, heart, the, the bar high, isn't he? He's setting a high standard. Worthy of God. 
How would you finance and support his laborers? Well, not half supported. Not leaving them anxious and distracted about where the next, the next meal's coming from. Not just tossing loose change in their direction. But in a manner worthy of God. Nor would the workers be out of mind, out of sight, would they? Along with those two things of friendship and finance, we find these Christians and Gaius concerned for them and, and, and praying for them. You notice here as well, he makes this reference about the pagan. See what he says there? It was for the sake, verse 7, of the name that they went out receiving no help from the pagans. In other words, this great work of the gospel can only and will only be supported by Christians. The world isn't going to give its money towards the gospel. And that means, therefore, that the priority in giving for the Christian has always got to be the gospel. It's not that we've got to be unmindful of the needs of the world around us, but the world around us, in that sense, will, to some measure, take care of its own. It will give to all sorts of charities and so on. It won't give to Christian endeavours and Christian charities. Only the Christian church will do that. And it's an important reminder here, isn't it, that only Christians will support Christian ministries. Friendship, finance and far-sightedness so that we may work together for the truth. Isn't that a remarkable thing? You see, this is, this is the amazing thing about the church. Here's, here's a church, a small church in the north of England, in Northwich. Who's ever heard of Northwich? I mean, but God's heard of Northwich. And God has planted a church here in Northwich. And he wants this church to have a vision far beyond the boundaries of Northwich. You see, Gaius was a man who had a vision far beyond his own town. He wanted the gospel to go out and go on. That's why he was supporting these missionaries. The exciting things, a man called Andrew Murray about 100 years ago put it something like this. He said, every local church has the ability to join in the Great Commission. And that we find in Acts 1.8, to, to be a local church that has a passion for the gospel going locally, nationally, and internationally. So that money you give to that missionary, that prayer that you give towards the support of that person, one day in eternity, somebody will come up to you and say, thank you. Thank you that you gave that money. Thank you that you supported that missionary, not just for a short time, but for a long time. They brought the gospel to our town far thousands of miles from where you are in Northwich. And through them, through God's grace, we came to Christ. And we're now together in the new heaven and the new earth. What's, what's the best thing that's happened to you this year? That you're walking in the truth. Keep going, brothers and sisters. There really is nothing better than that. It just seems so ordinary so mundane, it's a miracle of grace. Because you've only got to think about the people who are no longer walking in the truth to realize that that bar, bar the grace of God go you and I. What's the best thing? That you're walking in the truth. What's the best thing you've done this year? 
to work together and keep working together and dream great dreams for the gospel. As a church in this country, we face a huge challenge going into the 21st century. At best, there are 2 3% of people in our land going to any kind of Bible-believing gospel church. How many people in this room this morning? I don't know. 60, 70? What's the population here? I guess it runs to thousands, does it? That reflects you're probably about 2%. If you added the church up the road, the parish church where the gospel is preached. But Hartford, it's, it's still, it's that kind of proportion, isn't it? There's a huge challenge before us. And we're weak and we're frail and we're just a small number. But it's from that small number, it's out of that weakness of a people who are walking in the truth and working for the truth that God will bring his glory to this land. That's how it works. May God help us to do it. Let's pray. Father, we think of uh, the Apostle John writing this letter to this man, Gaius, and those 2,000 years ago, little imagining that 2,000 years later there'd be a group of people thinking on a Sunday morning about what he wrote and why he wrote it and the priorities that concerned him. But we thank you because you're the unchanging God. Your priorities do not change. And therefore this letter has direct burning relevance to us today. Father, we pray for ourselves. We pray, Lord, that you forgive us when we get distracted and lose sight of what our life is really about. We ask, Lord God, that you would help us and help us to help one another walk in the truth day by day, that we might jealously guard that desire to encourage one another, and all the more as we see the great day of Christ approaching. And Father, help us to work together we know that that will require your grace because we will inevitably have different views on things. We will inevitably want to do things in different ways. We'll inevitably rub one another up the wrong way. But Father, we thank you for the reality of the scriptures that recognizes those things and yet calls us to have our eye upon Christ and to regard others as better than ourselves and to have that humble spirit that we sang of earlier on in order that this gospel might ring out into this community. Lord God, we are mindful that we are just a handful of people, and that's replicated up and down this land. Even the largest of churches in their towns are just a very small percent of the population. But this gospel is mighty, and it will prevail, and it contains eternal treasure. So Lord God, help us to, to live it, help us to walk in it, Help us to work for it. Day by day we pray. Amen. Amen. And for that to happen, we'll need to constantly have Christ as our vision. And I think that's uh, our, our final song. Uh, Lord, be my vision. Supreme in my heart. Let's